0: Hey there, I'm Stephanie Domet, and I'm an editor at Mindful Magazine and a writer for Mindful.org.
1: And I'm Barry Boyce, founding editor of Mindful Magazine and Mindful.org,
0: and I write the regular column, Point of View. And this is the Point of View Podcast. Listen, I hope you can stay awake for this one. I need you to focus in, you know? I'm with Barry in his office at Mindful. The window's open. Squeaky chair is here. And we're getting ready to talk about, are you ready for this? We're going to talk about boredom. I feel that boredom is such a rich topic for a writer and for a meditator and you start by writing about those long afternoons of childhood and I feel like I can summon one of those up right now 45 years later mom I'm bored Um, I know why boredom and thinking about it is important to me but why was boredom on your agenda to write about
1: well that point of view is really about looking at the intersection between life and uh, meditation and mindfulness practice, and it is just such a common experience to uh, practice meditation and find that you're bored. Maybe even, you know, extremely irritatingly, fingernails on the blackboard type of board. So that was one reason to explore what the quality of boredom is in, in mindfulness meditation practice and uh, why it's there, maybe, and what its value might be. But also, there's a lot being uh, discussed and written about about boredom these days because of the hyper-stimulation um, that's emerged from uh, all the stuff that's available to us on our devices. So... People are writing about uh, reclaiming
0: boredom and enjoying boredom, and so
1: I thought I would throw my hat in the ring.
0: So it's not generally socially acceptable for an adult to whine that classic sentence, I'm bored, but we do get bored, and you've thought a lot about this. Uh, so, what is boredom made of?
1: Well, because I'm no expert, and uh, except from my own contemplative study of it and a bit of reading but it seems like you know we're made of um, on time and off time and something in between you know if we think of ourselves as beings who would be um, out in the wild having to survive you know there there's um, in between time when we're uh, needing to uh, be on the lookout then there's time when we're responding, um, moving, acting, and then there's complete downtime. I think we have trouble with that middle space. We feel like we should be doing something, we should be stimulated. We're kind of built to be stimulated or to uh, relax from that.
0: Right. And Um, yeah. Like I look at the chipmunks in my yard, And you're right, they're on or off. That guy is never bored. Yeah, (laughs) He's either in fear for his life or he's asleep.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that that in-between space. I really wonder whether evolutionarily, when we were out in the wild, uh, you know, how bored did we really get? Um, I think boredom is a bit of an accident of having so much entertainment available. So, and I think that part of the reason it's interesting, as we'll get into, is that when we lurch toward entertaining ourselves too quickly, uh, we step over the simple perception of where we are and what's going on.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, which sometimes we want to perceive that, and sometimes we, we really don't. And you write about some of those classic places where boredom presents itself. Uh, you had a job at a grocery store, which had a in my reading of your column, almost a comically large clock as a symbol of those minutes just dragging by.
1: Yes, it was comically large. <laughs> that clock was e- unbelievably big. I, I haven't seen a clock that big inside a building since.
0: <laughs> your, your boredom writ large. And school, of course, where the minutes never seem to end. But then you also write about encountering boredom in meditation and meditation-adjacent activities, of course. And so I'm wondering how your relationship with boredom changed as you went deeper into your practice.
1: It somewhat came down to the simple fact of um, whether I was just going to quit or not. Mm
0: -hmm. Quit meditating?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's... You know, and this came about from, it's okay when I would do you know, like a minute or a couple of minutes, but you know, we were talking about doing a few hours or more. It Got into a level of boredom and lack of stimulation that was um, bordered on painful. Mm. And uh, you know, I started to battle with it. You know, every entertainment I came up with couldn't sustain itself, <laughs> eventually it wore out.
0: You became bored with... I became
1: bored with the entertainment that I cooked up in order to not be bored.
0: I believe they call that a first world problem.
1: Yes, definitely a first world problem. So, um, when I got some advice to stop doing battle with it so much, it started to open up. I started to be okay with less stimulus and... It began to, um, and I'm not alone in meditation practitioners in experiencing this, Um, it began to open up my awareness and perception more.
0: Say more about that. In what way did it open it up, and what did you find there?
1: That there's a lot that I wasn't noticing in the atmosphere and in myself while I raced for entertainment. So boredom was like a like a passageway. They're kind of a painful boredom. A lot of the pain was, you know, fighting and you know, trying so desperately to be entertained. When I let go of that a little bit, I could really appreciate like, a bre- like some air coming through a window huh. more. Uh, you know that was a sufficient quote unquote entertainment oh. you know that, that um, uh, my perceptive capabilities were um, you know reignited in a way hmm. um, as a result of getting past this kind of simplistic level of boredom.
0: So what is that? Is that like a, an acknowledgement or a realization that this world is enough or this moment is it enough?
1: I think, I don't know about realization. Realization seems a little bit highfalutin, more like um, I don't know what you'd say, skill or something that you know, I often use the example of um, learning to play the guitar or the violin or the piano. Um, you know, the, the early student is so caught up in themselves and maybe they're bored and with learning and as you keep at it you start to notice the nuances and the subtleties that enable you to become a better player mm. you can detect the difference between one way of striking and uh, a key and another and a, you know a whole range so you're it's really you're um, Quality of your perception improving, not so much a realization, but maybe the realization is, "Wow, that's kind of cool uh-huh. that I can perceive at that at that intricate and minute a level."
0: Right, and so then you're able to re-engage your curiosity. Yeah, which exactly. Is part of what you're doing exactly, of and
1: your your attention is, I think, also increasing. Right. Right. You can attend longer. You know, I'm fascinated with things like police work where somebody has to go on a stakeout Uh and just sit and
0: pay attention and pay
1: attention and if you avert your attention the thing that you're looking for may escape notice right so we actually you know i think your attentive capabilities uh increase
0: right i guess you had a chance to really engage with this uh you write about um your archery practice I forget what the particular kind is called that you were engaged
1: in. Yeah, it's called kudo, which is sometimes called Zen archery, but it's really just a, a Japanese practice of archery. Where, by the way, they—that's um, sad. I wish I were still doing it. Mm. It's one of those activities and passions that fell by the wayside when, for one reason or another, but. While I was doing it, it was incredibly engaging, and uh, I wouldn't say I got good at it, but I learned a lot. And uh, in in that form of um, archery practice, you start out. There's like almost no uh, attention to the target. Um, what are you paying attention to then? So you're you are paying attention to the form. Of how you're holding your body and the the bow and the bow string, and then you just shoot into a bale of hay right. without a target on it, Right. and it's only like six or eight feet away from you.
0: Not a huge challenge. I am no. so outcome-oriented that this is completely freaking me out.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and it, the it, I mean, quite often when you're learning, so you will go through these uh, coordinations, I think there are seven of them, that where you, know, you, where you end up finally releasing the bowstring. Mm-hmm. And so you could be about to release the bowstring and then the, the arrow just falls out and goes on the ground. Right. But the instruction is to complete the whole thing anyway. So you just shoot this empty, arrow, empty bow um, and then you have to sheepishly pick up the, the arrow and start all over again. So in that context, the teach, one of the teachers said, you know, things really get interesting and the practice really starts um, when, when you're getting bored, when it starts to get boring. And what that was really about is that any fascination with I'm doing archery and this is going to be cool, and that starts to go away, and you really start to to notice in the more minute perceptual way that I was talking about, how am I actually gripping this? Uh-huh. And you would notice things like, man, I'm really gripping this bow a lot harder than I need to. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're doing that because of, it's a certain kind of insecurity and fear. If I grip it harder, it's going to work better.
0: Right. I'm going to be better.
1: Yeah. I'm going to be better. I'm going to control this. And um, my Japanese teacher, he talked about perceiving in holding the bow what where each of the fingers was and what degree of pressure they were applying, and as I started to try to perceive this, I realized that man, down at the end of my arm is just like a ham hook. Right. It's like <laughs> I don't have this level of perception of the individual fingers this and deftness, knuckles. He's talking about. Yeah. So that let me in on past the boredom and the. And the obsession with being entertained, there was a level of perception possible because this teacher embodied that kind of perception. Right. In the, you know, he knew where every sinew in his body was and what was happening. And not in any obsessive kind of way. Right. It's just that was how he was trained. So, anyway, that was a very um, wonderful meditative. Because it was a, it was archery as meditation practice,
0: and it wasn't really about hitting the target. Not ultimately, although as people
1: as people progress, and and do that practice more, the there are targets, mm-hmm. and they even take it as far as um, you know that there's a target that's way far away and. Uh, even at some level you do it on horseback and all this kind of stuff I never got that far but uh, certainly the point of the beginning meditative aspect of that practice is to not be focused on getting anywhere so much be focused on where you are and what's happening with your hands and you know the in this case, the tool that you have in your
0: hands—it's such a perfect metaphor for what we're talking about because I, I think, you know, that being in in boredom, in a state of boredom, and the, uh, the itchy feeling of trying to get out of that—is, I mean, it, you and you write about this too. It's about not wanting to be where you are and being actually kind of desperate to not be what you, where you are, yeah. or maybe what you are, and that feels like there's something intrinsic there about being a person and trying to pay attention.
1: People talk nowadays about preserving this great gift we have of attention Uh and not having it robbed so easily by the merchants of distraction. Yeah. You know, it's a great gift that we have.
0: And you can, you know, I, I used to have a kind of a high-powered job as a daily journalist where I was really rewarded for being able to fracture my attention. Uh, and then when I stopped doing that and I turned my attention back to writing in a deep way, you know, trying to write long fiction, I realized that my attention span was broken. And because I, you know, was always rewarded for being able to to turn on a dime. And so I had to work with, you know, I worked with a little timer and all, a little reward system and, uh, you know, some self-compassion to try to rebuild that attention span that had taken me through, you know, those long childhood afternoons, which were great for me as a writer. That was when my imagination and I really became kind of firm friends. We didn't have cable television. It seemed like it was always raining, definitely before the time of smartphones. You can only play sorry so many times <laughs> with your brothers before you truly are sorry, um, and we do really try to run from boredom, but it can be such a good teacher and a and a facilitator, in my experience, and probably yours too, of things like art.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. I think the that word span and attention span is is pretty cool mm. if we think about it. You know, I think that's a great story of you working to regain your attention span, so to speak. And you know, we think of attention span. Unfortunately, in this kind of punitive way because of teachers wanting us to increase our attention span and, you know, being um, punished, so to speak, for not not having enough attention span. But the notion of spanning a broader field of time and vision and space is uh, is a a good one, you know, that it, it feels good to have more space. Yeah. Although, on the way there, you get the bends. There's like, some kicking
0: and screaming in my yeah, experience. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I wouldn't say that, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, but I think that's what we're talking about and enjoying that that longer
0: span. Yeah, just just finding what's, what's waiting in there. Here, what might we observe if we if we can do this, if we can sit with boredom, just be with it.
1: Yeah, I think we can um, get to know our um, impulses and you know, be able to be curious and, and explore and question our degree to which we're addicted to filling up space and rather than letting ourselves be filled up by space, to dance with that a bit. And to when we start to fight the boredom, see if we can uh, declare a truce and just be with things a little longer and see what happens.
0: So the next time I'm sitting and I'm thinking, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope, nope. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Give me something practical.
1: <laughs> boycott that.
0: Just, boycott the nope.
1: Yep. Okay. just and then when it comes up again, boycott it again. Like, okay you know it takes a certain it's interesting about meditation and effort
0: uh-huh
1: to the extent that you have this really kind of hard pushing effort it doesn't work you know you 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 push too hard on the other hand a little bit of effort is needed of a particular kind mm-hmm. and it's that effort to say no in a way to to say no to the part of you that's resisting because you know you've you've set a time, mm-hmm. and this, by the way, is a very important, practical, tactical, important thing for me, formal meditation practice. It's good to set a time. Okay, I'm going to do this for 15 minutes, rather than so then you don't have to go into a. Oh, okay, I'm bored. I'm going to quit now. Or and you it, find out it was
0: 90 seconds. Yeah.
1: So yeah, you the little bit of effort is the effort to boycott that. And as it comes up again, you boycott it again. And then if you have a whole thought pattern about why does this keep happening, you boycott
0: that. Right. No narratives about it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just they... Because you're always, you know, find that as you keep, you know, boycotting those instincts, there's something that lies there beneath that is relaxed and attentive already. You know, your basic capability of being aware.
0: Okay. That's under there? That's under there, Even for me, Barry? Even for me? Even
1: for, well, if it's there for me, I mean...
0: Yeah, we'll get to him in a minute. I'm wondering, because you're a parent, you've got kids, you've got grandkids, how did you talk to them about their own boredom when they were coming to you with those long afternoon whiny times?
1: You know, I... That's a very interesting question. Going back to my own children, I might have to ask them. (laughs) I think I probably simply tried to find something constructive for them to do. Right. I think I did a little better than go away and leave me alone. I think (laughs) I... But I didn't... Try to educate them, so to speak, in the nature of boredom. I mean, good luck with that. I mean,
0: that was probably a good move on your yeah, Good
1: k- instinct. it's kind of BS anyway. I mean, they'll experience it. And, um, so I probably try to help them along a little bit by giving them something to do or something to read. Every once in a while I have a feeling like I... Ask them to do some uh, housework, Mm. or clean up the room,
0: a classic
1: Mm. technique.
0: I always found that an excellent cure for my complaints of boredom. Yes, 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 that's very
1: effective. (laughs) Okay, if that's the alternative, I'm doing just fine.
0: I will entertain myself. Yeah,
1: I will entertain myself. I'll find something to do.
0: I feel we've naturally arrived at the old mindful vulgarian and his relationship with the nature of boredom. Well, the, the,
1: the thing about the mindful vulgarian, my persona, alter ego, uh, possibly is blunt, ego. and possibly <laughs> just ego, blunt, tells it like it is. The mindful vulgarian is definitely a work in progress. Mm-hmm. On his tombstone, it will say, work in progress. <laughs> the mindful vulgarian says, come on, come off it. You're the most bored person in the world. You resist boredom like the plague. How do you come off talking about uh, the wonders of getting past boredom? So, yeah, I mean, if we're being honest here, I'm in this mess with the rest of us, (laughs) but I have... uh, Experienced a moment of two from time to time (laughs) where I was able to drop my bite with boredom and actually wake up to where I was.
0: Go figure. Imagine. I always enjoy a visit with the Vulgarian and and with you, Barry Boyce. Thank you for this.
1: Thank you. It's been a blast. And um, stay bored.
0: This has been Point of View with Mindful founding editor, Barry Boyce. This podcast is a production of mindful.org. If you want to talk about what you heard on the podcast or you have a question for Barry, you can email us, podcasts, with an S, at mindful.org and Barry Boyce is all over mindful.org. Search his name in the search bar. There are audio practices, lots of stories, all the other episodes as well of the Point of View podcast. And I'm Stephanie Domet. Till next time, remember, when it starts getting boring, that's when it gets interesting.